Good morning. Scripture will be found in Mark 2, verse 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no room, there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. You may be seated. Thank you, Adiola. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is uh, Brooks. I'll be bringing you the word this morning as we continue in our series in the book of Mark. Last week, uh, last week we know we noticed that that Jesus, as he begins his public teaching, as he begins to heal, as he begins to to cast out demons, the the individuals that were listening and watching Jesus and receiving the healing that he was giving, they they made the proclamation that what is this? This is a new teaching and with authority and with authority. So they, they could see clearly that Jesus had authority. And as we talked about last week, that doesn't simply mean that when he preached, he was loud. Uh, that's not loud. Loud preaching doesn't equal authority. Uh, what, what, what demonstrated his authority was his, his, his power over, over evil spirits, over the physical realm, over disease, over sickness. And they knew that something was up, that this is completely different. Now, this morning, we see another, uh, another text in John, or not John, rather Mark chapter 2, where this authority is on display. So they noticed it through his teaching, but now we see it declared and we see it on display even more. So we're going to take a look at three things this morning in Mark chapter 2. The scripture that was read was just the first 12 verses, and that's mainly where we're going to stay, but this is a theme in the entire second chapter, the entire second chapter. And again, some of you are thinking, or you might be thinking, oh, I wish you would have covered the second half of Mark. If you are, you've picked up the Mark study guide, which you can do if you have not done yet in the office, you can go through and see how all of this ties together. Three things. First of all, we're going to see a demonstration of that authority as this authority is on display. Second, we're going to hear Jesus declare this authority. And then the last thing we're going to do is, is consider what this means for you and I, for us personally, in deciding how you personally and how I am going to respond. This is an individual choice that you have to make for yourself. But what are you going to do with the authority that Jesus has? So would you please open your Bibles to Mark 
chapter 2. Let's pray and we'll get right into the scripture. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that you have declared yourself to be a savior, that you have conquered sin and death on the cross, and that you have risen again. Thank you that you have given your people the Holy Spirit. And Spirit, we ask that you would speak through your word, that you would open up our eyes, open up our hearts, that we might grow closer to you, um, for those of us who walk with you, and for those that don't yet know you, we pray that you would bring them into your kingdom, that you would grant them grace, that they would receive that grace and respond in faith and trust, Lord. We pray that you would be exalted this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's get to it. First of all, demonstration of authority. Again, last week, he comes in teaching, and they, what is this new teaching with authority? This theme continues. In Mark chapter 2, Verse 3, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Why are they there? It's not a trick question. Because word is spreading all over, all over Israel, that there is prophet? Messiah? I don't know. Some guy who's Jesus of Nazareth, and he has authority. He has authority over your evil spirits. He has authority over sickness. And, and so naturally, if you are infirmed and if you are unclean, remember last week he cleansed the leper, all of these individuals have all of these issues are hearing that there's someone who has authority over whatever it is they're dealing with. And so it only stands to reason that these individuals are making a beeline, making a beeline to wherever Jesus is. So anybody with a need is coming to where Jesus is. Now that doesn't mean they understand who he is. They just know he has authority. And these four guys and their paralytic friend find their way to Jesus. Now, this is a very, very famous story. If you've been in church for, I don't know, for a while, you've heard this story. This is a very, very famous story, the story of the, the four friends and their paralytic and how they couldn't get to Jesus because he's in this house in Capernaum and, and it's packed and, and there's no way to get through the front door. There's just too many people. So they climb up around the side of the house. They get on top and they start digging through the roof. And that's generally, when you hear this story preached, you generally hear the focus on the faith of the four friends and what they have to do to get to Jesus. And that's all fine and good, but that's not the point of this chapter. It's an interesting side note, but that's not the point of this chapter. The point of this chapter is what happens next. Let's take a look. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith? Whose faith is he referring to? The four friends. Now, there's a guy on a mat, and we believe that he has faith too, but he didn't do the digging and he didn't do the carrying, but it's, it's the four, four friends, but also you can throw in the paralytic. Now, what did they come for? The healing. Now, I want you to just think about this. You are a paralytic. You have some infirmity, some disease, and you travel for miles to see the one person with the authority to fix what's broken, and he says, good news, I forgive you. How many of you are like, awesome. How many of you are thinking, wait, what? He didn't come to be forgiven. 
He came to be healed. And Jesus does not, does not lead with rise and walk. He leads with, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, keep going. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Leave it to the Pharisees and the scribes to ruin a perfectly good, awesome event in the scriptures. Now, that's typically how we see and we respond to the Pharisees and the scribes when they have it out with Jesus. Now, I want you to think this through, though. They do have a point. They do have a point. I want you to think about if you came to me for, for counseling, uh, a couple, a man and, and, a, and his wife, they come in for counseling. They've, they've had a rough go of it in their marriage. And, and so they, they text me or they send a message through email and say, can we meet? And so I meet with them and, and I hear the story and the, and the wife pours out her heart and talks to me about her husband's addiction to pornography and how much he has hurt her and, and how wounded she is and how, how awful he is and how terrible he is. And, and I listen and I nod and I, I empathize. Oh, that has to be hard. And, and then I say, are you done? And she says, yes. And I turned to him and I said, son, your sins are forgiven. Wives, how many of you would want to choke me right there in that moment? (laughs) You're darn right you would. Why? Because you think, wait, 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 hold hold on a second. How, How can you grant forgiveness to him when you're not the one that was sinned against? I'm the one that was wronged. They have a point. No one can forgive another person except the person who's been sinned against or except the, the entity that by definition all sin is directed towards. All sin is rebellion against God. Whether it's sin against your wife, sin against your kids, sin against your neighbor, all sin is ultimately against a holy God who made everyone in his image. So they have a point. They're not wrong for questioning. They're not wrong for questioning. Verse 8, immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? So the paralytic is, is lying there on the mat. So he's no longer speaking to the paralytic. He's speaking to the scribes. He's speaking to the scribes. He goes, which is easier to, to say to this guy? your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk. What's the emphasis here? Well, I mean, I'm just a guy and he's a paralytic, which is easier for me to say, stand up and walk or your sins are forgiven. I'm not sure exactly how I would answer that if I was a scribe. I think, I don't know. I guess either one of is easy. You could say anything you want, but that means nothing. I could say I'm king of the world. That doesn't mean anything. I can say that I could dunk a basketball, but I can't. There's a lot of things I could say. See, talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap. Jesus is saying, which of these two is easier to say? And you're like, I don't know. Both are easy enough, but it doesn't matter what you say. 
That's the point. That's why he's saying it. He knows that it doesn't matter simply what he says. That's why he doesn't simply end with words alone. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified, saying, we never seen anything like this. Which is easier. You're forgiven or stand and walk. It's just all talk. But that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sin, stand up, take your bed and go home. And he does. And he does. He demonstrates his authority. This authority is on display that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. So that's the demonstration of authority. That's the demonstration. Now we're going to look at the declaration of authority. Some of you are like, isn't that the same thing? Yes, no. But there's something that we just glossed over that probably most of you have missed because you've never seen the movie. Uh, If you're thinking, what are you talking about? I'll get to that in a second. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read Acts, when you read Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, when you read Titus, when you read the entire New Testament, the most common title for Jesus is the Christ. That's not his last name. My last name is Simpson. Jesus' last name is not Christ. It is Jesus the Christ or Jesus Christ. Christ is the anointed one. It means the Messiah. So the Hebrew word would be the Messiah. Christ is is a transliteration of the Greek word of the same thing. It means anointed one. Jesus the Christ. That's how most people refer to Jesus, his followers. Jesus hardly ever referred to himself that way. And when people referred to him and asked him, are you the Christ? He kind of avoided it. I mean, sometimes he would own it and say, yes, I am. You say that I am. But then he would immediately refer to himself as the son of man. This is his favorite title for himself. And for Gentile, that is non-Jewish readers, like most all of us here, we don't, we've never seen the movie. That, that, how many of you, when you hear that word, son of man, that phrase, son of man, it just elicits a, anyone? That's what I thought. None of you. Okay. Now, if I said to my son, and we're all having a picnic or whatever, Ryan, I am your father. How many of you have seen the movie? (laughs) All of you have seen the movie, Right? But if someone said, Luke, I am your father, and they, and they drop their voice and they, they drop the octave about three or four levels and, and they got that gravelly voice and you haven't seen the movie, you'd think, what are you doing? That's great that you're Ryan's father, but this is just strange. It goes right over your head. Okay? When we, when I, never mind we, When I read the Bible for the first hundred times in the New Testament, 
I would read right over that phrase, son of man, and I, because I'd never seen the movie until I saw the movie. This is a ultra-famous, ultra-famous line from the book of Daniel. Okay, so I got to give you a little bit of a context here. The book of Daniel, you know Daniel, the lion's den. You familiar with that guy? So this is one of the darkest periods of Israel's history. After hundreds and hundreds of years of prophets telling Israel, stop worshiping idols for the love of all that is good, would you please stop worshiping idols? If you don't stop worshiping the gods of your neighbors, I am going to send in another nation and they're going to take you captive and they're going to destroy you. And so that was fulfilled, first of all, in the northern kingdom, Israel. The first 10 tribes were taken and, and uh, uh, scattered by Assyria. Only Judah was left. But then hundreds of years later, Judah was taken captivity by Babylon and they were taken into Babylon. Daniel, being royalty, uh, was taken into Babylon where he served four different kings. And in Daniel chapter 7, he has this nightmare, this vision, this dream, which makes him literally sick to his stomach and he loses his all color, says at the end of chapter 7. But in that vision, here's, here's some of the things that he saw. He, he sees this swirling, chaotic ocean, and he sees consecutive four different beasts come out of the ocean that really freak him out. I mean, these, these horrific creatures, four consecutive different beasts. And we learn later that the, 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 that the angel tells him, here's what these dreams or this vision means. The, the beasts represent four kingdoms, empires, that are kind of come up over the earth and they are going to trample and kill and destroy human beings. Four separate consecutive empires. And then he has this vision of this throne room with the Ancient of Days where he sees a vision of, of God, radiant, white, white hair, white beard, fiery eyes. And a throne room, a throne of, of uh, sitting on a throne where there's, there's fire coming out of it. And it's a courtroom scene and there's, there's all sorts of thrones and there's, there's, and there's, there's angels and, and he sits on the throne and he's, he's the judge and they bring the, they bring the beasts before the ancient of days and the beasts are killed and they're trampled and destroyed and they're judged. And then Daniel sees the son of man riding on a cloud who's taken up and he's seated on a throne and he's given power and he's given dominion to rule the nations and all of the nations fall down and serve him. Here's the verse. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, who is him? The Son of Man. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. What did Jesus say he came? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Believe that all peoples... Nations 
and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Now, I want you to think if you knew that and that was your hope that someday that the Son of Man would come and destroy the Romans, crush the beasts, and he would, he would rule and set up his kingdom and authority. And now this guy says that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. What triggers, what, what do you immediately think of? They'd all seen the movie. This is the most famous title for the coming Messiah, and it's Jesus' favorite self-disclosed term. This is how he refers to himself, the Son of Man. Jump ahead to the end, towards the end of chapter 2 here. We're not going to go into detail on this, but now they're, they're quibbling over Sabbath regulations with Jesus. And he says to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay, stop. I just want you to just imagine what that means. If Pastor Brooks said, I want you to know that me, <laughs> being the Son of Man, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, how many of you would get up and leave? If you don't raise your hand, you are gullible sheep and lemmings, and you will be let off a cliff. This is how cults start. No one should be, to, should be honored when they drop the I am Lord of the Sabbath bomb. Or that you may know that I have the authority as the Son of Man to forgive sins. If you are listening to that, you sh- your, your spidey senses should be tingling. Of course, that requires you've seen that movie too. Otherwise, that's nonsense. Do you see the point? They've seen the movie. They know what he's saying. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man. Seriously? Jesus of Nazareth. Carpenter's son. How is it that you think that you could possibly have authority to forgive sin, that you could even use that title, the Son of Man, which means nothing to Gentiles who are not familiar with the Old Testament, but means everything to a Jew. This is big news. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, with our mating time, you and I have to decide what do we do with the Son of Man who has authority to forgive sins? What do we do with the Son of Man who is Lord even of the Sabbath? What do we do with the Son of Man who, when he came, said, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. It's right now. So repent and believe the gospel. We have an opportunity And we have a responsibility. But first of all, I want to ask, I just want to go back here, and I want to establish for us before we respond, how can anyone make that claim, let alone Jesus? All right. Daniel 7, Son of Man judges the nations. But what does that have to do with forgiveness? How do you tie in Daniel 7 with Mark 2? What does that have to do with forgiveness? Being the judge and and ruler of a kingdom and nation, how does that have to do with forgiveness? The answer is, you and I, the paralytic on the mat, the scribes questioning Jesus' authority, 
the four individuals that carried him and dug through the roof, every single one of us have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? It means that you and I behave like beasts. In Genesis chapter 3, man rebelled and declared himself independent from God. In Genesis 4, you have the first murder where after Abel and Cain presented their offerings, God accepted Abel's. He had regard for for Abel's, but not Cain's. And, And Cain was angry. He was furious. And the Lord came to Cain and he said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But beware because sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. Sin crouching at a door. In Genesis 3, we have sin crawling and slithering into the garden and tempts them. In Genesis 4, we have sin crouching like an animal, like a tiger, ready to leap upon them. It's described with animalistic tendencies, with, with traits. And if you give in to sin, it will have you. And it does have him. And he springs upon his brother and crushes his head. From that moment forward, humanity has behaved towards humanity like animals. Like the four beasts that rose up out of the, out of the, out of the ocean that Daniel saw. Only these are kingdoms, but it happens individually. That's why marriages fall apart. That's why nations fall apart. That's why there's racism and all sorts of other isms where tribes are against tribes, continually at war with one another. That's why our nation is being ripped apart and becoming further and further apart ideologically. You say, well, I'm on the right side. Well, maybe you are, but you're still a beast. And so is your tribe. Do you understand the significance of what's going on here? There is absolutely no hope for humanity apart from the Son of Man who has authority to forgive beasts like you and your precious little beastly children. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Because you know it's true, right? This is just a lot of humanity. And the issue here is the beasts are going to be destroyed. But that's not hopeful if you're a beast. But if the reason you're a beast is because sin indwells and you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive you as a beast, that's good news. But that doesn't answer the question, how does he have that authority? The scribes are right to question, wait, 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 you can't forgive someone else of their sin. See, Only one who is sinned against has the authority to forgive sin. Jesus is the embodiment, the incarnation, the exact image and representation of the Ancient of Days. He is God. And you and I are created in his image. And when we behave like beasts and we harm and we hurt other people, we sin against them as individuals, but we sin against our maker, the maker of those individuals. Our sin is primarily against God, but it's also against others. So he does have the authority to forgive sin because when we sin against anyone else, our spouses, our kids, our neighbors, our enemies, people in other tribes, we sin against fellow image bearers made in his image. So he does have the authority. But there's something else that's required to forgive. You have to have, you have to be willing to forgive, obviously, but you also have to be able to pay the cost 
of the transgression before you can forgive. I remember when I was going through some counseling training probably about 15 years ago, I remember the, the people doing the training, and this is talking about horizontal forgiveness when someone forgives someone else. It said, you have to be willing, a person has to be willing and able to pay the price for the transgression of being sinned against before they can forgive. And I remember balking at that. I thought, that's not right. You should just forgive unconditionally like Jesus did. I'm like, no, think about it. If you loan me a hundred bucks, as thanks, but you expect payment, that's the definition of a loan, but I default on the loan and you forgive the loan, you have to be willing to pay the price. And what's the price for you, literally? It's $100. Okay, if you're not willing and you're not able to pay the price for the transgression against you, you can't forgive by definition. And I'm using a financial illustration here. But if someone harms you, if they slander you, and you're going to forgive them, you have to be willing to be out your reputation before you can forgive. If you're not willing to be out, if you can't pay the price yourself for for people thinking of you in a negative way, you can't and you won't forgive. So what does that have to do with Jesus? Jesus has the willingness, but he also has the ability to pay for the transgression against the Ancient of Days and himself. What's the penalty for sin? Death, separation from God. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was separated from God. That's why on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was forsaken. Because he was forsaken. He, He received our sins, and therefore, his father rejected him, and he was separated from him. And Jesus experienced qualitatively what all of us would experience eternally separated from our father. He was able and he was willing to pay that price. He is the son of man. He has authority and he has invited you to receive the benefits of what he was willing to pay for. And that's the gospel. The only question is, how do you respond? First, we looked at a couple weeks ago after John was arrested. The first thing that Jesus said when he came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel, which means the good news, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand because the Son of Man is here. He's in your midst. He dwelt on this earth for 33 years. He fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the Ancient of Days, of the Father. He did not behave as a beast but he behaved as a lamb and he gave his life for all of the wolves, the serpents, the leopards, the lions, the bears that would devour each other and your marriages and your homes and your communities. And he gave himself for them, for you, for me. And he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Trust him. To believe means to trust The only logical response to the authority of the Son of Man who is willing and able to forgive sins is to bow and worship 
and trust. So believe, trust. Stop riding the fence. Trust him. And then get up and walk. This is more than a physical healing. It is a physical healing. But the physical healing demonstrates a spiritual authority. That's the purpose of the healing because he said it is. So what's he trying to tell us? When we receive him as Savior and we receive the Holy Spirit and we are forgiven of our sins, he says to us, get up and walk and follow me. Jesus is not interested in a fan base. He doesn't want you to follow him on X, formerly known as Twitter. He doesn't want you as a Facebook friend who, who likes everything that he does. He doesn't want your Christian memes. He doesn't want you to wear t-shirts. I'm not saying that you can't do those things. He wants you to follow him. Walk in the spirit. Obey. The first command given to this paralytic is that he get up and walk. How unreasonable is that? How unreasonable is that? How unreasonable is it for God to tell Steve Oliver to stop gambling when he's addicted to gambling? How unreasonable is it for God to tell a drunk to stop drinking? How unreasonable is it for God to tell a young man or a young woman addicted to pornography to stop lusting? How unreasonable is it for God to tell any of us beasts to actually rise, walk, and obey? It's completely unreasonable unless the Son of Man has the authority and the power to give us his spirit so that we might obey. And he does. Guess why? Because he has the authority to do so. God will never ask you, he will never ask me to take a step of faith where he will not enable us to step and place firm ground under our feet. Why? Because he's the ancient of days. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He will always supply the grace to do that which he calls us to do. And I know obedience is scary. I, I cannot imagine the trepidation that this individual f- had when he get up and walk. I, I'm probably thinking if I'm him, I haven't been able to walk for 40 years. I'm not sure how I'm going to pull this off. I don't know that I can. We're not let into this guy's mental space We just get to witness what he does. But by faith, he arose and he walked. And God tells us to do the same thing. I don't know what your next step is, but each of us, God has a next step. You say, well, I don't know what the next step is either. Ask the Lord. Right now in the quietness of your heart, say, Lord, what do you want me to do as a demonstration of faith? For some of you, Trust him as savior. For some of you, it's you need to be baptized. For some of you, it's get into community. For some of you, you need to serve. For some of you, you need to give. For some of you, you need to share your faith. I don't know, but the Holy Spirit does. And all you need to do is say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Quiet your heart, listen, and then rise and walk. That's what it means for the kingdom to rule. For Christ as a king to rule and for us to be part of his kingdom. As always, as we close in the service this morning, if you have prayer needs, invite you to come forward.
to be prayed for and to be prayed with. Father, we come to you with humble hearts and gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for giving us yourself. Thank you that you have the authority to forgive sins. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a person here standing. We do not deserve forgiveness, but you give it graciously. Lord, I pray that you would stir in every heart this morning to receive that gracious forgiveness. And Lord, pour out your grace upon us that we might rise and walk and proclaim your excellencies to our friends, to our families, to the nations. And Lord, I pray that those who are infirmed and just they're, they're, they're just weighed down by their sin and they're weighed down by their troubles and they don't feel the ability, Lord, would you give them hope, not in their ability, but in your faithfulness. Lord, would you turn all eyes and hopes to you, the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days, the Forgiver of Sins, the Bearer of Sins, and the Giver of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we might love you, that we might worship you, and that you might be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go in grace. And we will see you all next week.